Three, two hours later, I get back up to my room and I caught a reflection of myself in the mirror. Tear, mascara, tear-stained cheek. Mm. Okay, that's how much distress I was in and didn't even know it. So that was my moment uh, when I had the aha moment about, you know, grit and grace. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow Rebel Souls. I'm so excited that you're joining me for the Rebel Souls podcast. Thank you for supporting it. And I hope you are enjoying it and having as much fun and getting as many nuggets of wisdom as I am. I have to tell you guys, I feel like, oh, this might be my favorite job ever. Seriously, I'm loving having these conversations with incredible souls and learning so much from them and being able to share that experience with all of you. So thank you for tuning in. And today's conversation is going to be incredible. My conversations with Cheryl Jackson. If you haven't heard of Cheryl, there's a lot to tell. And you're going to be blown away by this conversation. Cheryl and I were introduced by a mutual friend about a year and a half ago, and she has become an absolute soul sister. She's an incredible inspiration for so many reasons that you'll discover throughout this conversation. And I just want to set up a little bit about who she is because it's going to make you want to fast forward right into the conversation. So Cheryl has one of the most interesting and varied backgrounds of anybody I've ever met. She is a true trailblazer. She has a career and a resume that's marked by first after first after first, just breaking through ceilings and barriers and all of it. So Cheryl's career has spanned international business, civil rights, politics, government, not-for-profit, and the media. This woman has literally been on the front lines of the civil rights movement by being the CEO of Chicago Urban League, which kind of mirrors her growing up in Memphis, Tennessee in the 1960s on the front lines of the civil rights movement. And we get into some of this at the end of the conversation and we talk about what's going on in the States today and the absolute need for racial justice and what we can do to be a part of that solution and a part of the change. This is also a woman who was hand-selected to run for the then vacant Senate seat when Obama went on to become president. And she's done so many things in between. It's absolutely incredible. Right now though, She's focusing on what I think she would describe as one of her most important roles, which is as CEO and founder of Grit and Grace, the movement. It's an empowerment company, a coaching company, a media company, and she's really helping women in particular to understand the need in our lives to pair grit 
with grace. As she says so eloquently, one won't let you give up and the other makes it okay to let go. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear her say that and every time I say that. And Cheryl gets really vulnerable with us sharing her story of, you know, where does she get her grit from? And then what was the defining moment in her life where she realized that she absolutely had to practice grace and one couldn't go without the other. They go hand in hand, grit and grace, and really was the defining moment of this movement that she's created and some really amazing transformational events that she's created around this movement that I've had the honor to speak at two years running. And I'm so excited for what's coming in the future. So Cheryl and I dive into that, to grit and grace, and what it means also to be a free agent. What does it mean to run your career in the way that Cheryl did and be proactive versus reactive and not wait for somebody to come recruit you, but go get what you want based on the incredible and unique skill set that you have. And then we also dive into this concept, the DNA of brilliance. And I won't spoil it. I absolutely love it. It's one of her newer concepts. And it's just a beautiful alignment of, I think, what we're all wanting more of in our lives. So we dive into all of that. And what does it look like to practice grace every single day? What does it look like to create firsts? in your own life and you know what what's on the horizon and what can we do to be part of the change in the world today and there is no other i mean cheryl is man she her firsts are like first as a woman in these roles first as a black person in these roles and then first as a black woman in so many of her roles. It's really incredible what she's been able to do and the trails she's forging. She is stunning inside and out and there are so many nuggets of wisdom in this conversation in what she shares and then her appeal to us at the end in terms of how we can be a part of the change. So buckle up for more who depth and wisdom and badassery. And let's dive into the conversation with Cheryl Jackson. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L.com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Welcome back to Rebel Souls Podcast. It's so good to have you guys here. And I cannot wait to dive into today's conversation with 
a dear, dear friend. I like to call her a rebel soul sister. We have gotten to know each other over the past, I don't know, like year and a half or two years. Year and a half half as we've been diving into this journey together. And Cheryl Jackson is one of those people, you heard me rattle off her resume before. I mean, it's sort of like, it's an unprecedented resume of firsts. She is an absolute sort of like boundary smasher, ceiling smasher, you, you, you name it, she's done it. And yet, like I go to Cheryl because she's one of those people who just inspires me. She's deep and soulful and smart and funny. And she's just like, she's energizing. And so I have felt so blessed, Cheryl, to have you in my life. And I'm even more, more excited to share you with my audience now. So welcome on to Rebel Souls. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And everything that you said about me, ditto about you. Okay. When we first met, I was completely drawn to you and your energy and energized by it. So I love, love getting to know you more and more as the years pass. Yeah. So, so for everybody listening, this is going to be like sitting in on like two soul sisters catching up because Cheryl, Cheryl and I haven't talked in a while since she did a big pivot event, which we are going to talk about a grit and grace event. And yeah, Cheryl, you are just one of those people who just uplifts and inspires everyone around you. So I want to dive into this incredible journey that you've been on for a number of years now. So I got to know you as you were just starting this grit and grace, the movement, which has now become a much bigger thing from, you know, just even in the past year and a half that I've gotten to know you. And so why don't we start here? Start, will you give us a little bit of your background? Because I think your background has so much to do with how you you got into this idea of grit and grace and how you've become this evangelist for it. So you can talk a little bit about, you know, what you've done. And then I want, because I think that's kind of the grit part. And then we can get into like, what were the defining moments for the grace part and how you've brought it all together into this beautiful movement? Thank you so much for this opportunity. And so where do I start where I began? Actually, I began with a degree in painting and drawing. I was, I was really a hippie child, okay? You know, I was clueless and didn't even know it. I, I was fine where I was and much to the chagrin of my father in particular and my parents. But somewhere I, I, I took on a career a job as an art director, but somewhere in the process, sort of my ambition fired on. And it was really driven by the dot-com era and watching young 20-something-year-old white guys become presidents and vice presidents. And there I was, 32, 33, and I'm like, what? Okay, (laughs) they're just out of their pampers. What do you mean they're presidents and vice presidents? And it was that moment that something clicked inside of me that even though I did not see myself as a black woman in these kinds of roles and opportunities, I something in me knew that I, if I wanted it, then I sure as heck should have the opportunity to pursue it. And so that's what started my journey. And I did my journey of pivots. Uh-huh. And I, um, I pivoted, uh, I became at NPR, National Public Radio, in about 36 months. I went from art director, several roles, finally landing as vice president of corporate communications, their youngest executive 
And that was the first. Yes, it was first, first African-American, youngest executive of NPR. So I went from there to Amtrak. There I took on a role of VP of Public Affairs, learned government relations in 18 months, evolved into the role of state, uh, national director of state and local government affairs, but then was appointed into a role for the Illinois governor as a communications director and, and press secretary. Do you remember that show called West Wing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? There was a character called CJ, and she was the press secretary. So when I... <laughs> right, CJ, CJ, get it? Uh, when they first asked me to do this job, I said, hell no. I watched West Wing. I know the drama that CJ goes through. But anyway, I did it. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I did it. And after that, I, I became the first CEO and president of Chicago Urban League, a civil rights organization. I was the first woman to serve as president in, at that time, the 93-year history of that organization. So another first. Wow. Uh, I was the first woman and person of color to be the communications director and press secretary for an Illinois governor. So, and then the first woman and in, in, in African-American to be the national director of state and local government affairs for AM. Track. So I'm trying to give you this history of first. Yes. And then after Urban League, I took a pause. I ran for U.S. Senate. I ran for President Obama's Senate seat that he vacated. And I was, if the governor of Illinois had just acted right, I probably would have been the senator, been appointed into that role, but he didn't. Uh, so I ended up running for it and it was a great experience. And the consolation prize for not winning was a private life. I pivoted into corporate America for the first time ever and uh, into an aviation services company. Like what did that have to do with any of my life experiences? And we could talk about it later, but it was phenomenal. I was there nearly 10 years and I saw the world there and I made several pivots inside of that role. And so here I am, my latest pivot into entrepreneurship. So I'm excited uh, to be oh. here with you now to talk about uh, what all of this means. Yeah, well, and, and it's so interesting, right? Because neither one of us have perfectly linear careers. In fact, just the opposite. I think Sheryl Sandberg called it like the jungle gym instead of the corporate ladder. And we've both had this like jungle gym kind of swinging from thing to thing. And you don't always see how they're connected and interrelated until you do. And in the rearview mirror, as you say that now, I can see so perfectly and so beautifully how it set you up yes. to do what you're doing in the world. And I think everybody who's watching and listening will be able to connect those dots as we get deeper into this. It's so clear that that's where some of your grit comes from, because it takes grit to be the first and to be smashing through those oh. ceilings and to be defying the odds in so many cases. I was all grit. I was all grit in those days. And it came with a price and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I do. I want to talk about that. And I'm curious, where does that grit come from? Were you born with that? Like when you think about it, it's like, oh man, it takes a lot. And it sounds like it was just so natural for you. Where does that come from? You know, I've wondered about that, where it came from. Well, first of all, my father was really just steely kind of grit person. But you know, I was in the governor's office, probably the, the hardest job I've ever had. And the other women one day in the governor's office or in that sphere pulled me to the side and they were like, how are you doing it? We can't penetrate that circle. The inner circle was an all boys club and it was toxic. 
she said, but they, they seem to talk to you. They, you know, you're able to work in that, you know, how do you do it? It's just, you know, insufferable, all the things. And I just hadn't even thought about it. And the things that were bad about and toxic about that environment just leveled them. And I developed a skin where I could take a lick and keep on ticking, um, just highly resilient. But that resilience came from, yes, my father, it, it came from the same place where my father got his resilience. Being a black person in America, just existing requires an enormous amount of resilience. So it's a skill, it's a muscle that's that's so developed, you're not even aware of it. I, I was very, now that I look back, very skillful at getting knocked down and still finding a way to come back and find a way to be successful in the face of a lot of defeat, but people, more importantly, in, a, in an environment that's not rooting for you. And so that's, I think, you know, from early childhood, you know, as long as I've been black, I think that's where that comes from. I can think back to high school and grade school. And, you know, I I was going to school, uh, started school at the end of the 60s. And you were in Memphis, right? So Memphis, so you're like civil rights era Memphis. Exactly. I even, my family lived in the National, in the uh, Lorraine Motel just one month after Dr. King was assassinated. I would go to school and have to deal with teachers who were racists. And that kind of thing really impugns and can damage the psyche of children. And my parents taught us, because they knew what we were up against, taught us how to stand tall and to protect ourselves emotionally. So I think that's where the grit started, learning how to persevere in environments that were not friendly or supportive or welcoming to you. And to take that and use it as a motivation. Yeah, that became your, that became your fuel. It became my fuel. It became my fuel. And so that's, I think that's the driver of it, of my grit. It's my existence as a Black woman. Yeah. And you have, I mean, I'm so impressed by what what you've accomplished, but clearly, and you said this earlier, it comes with a price. So let's talk about that because that's the great, (laughs) that's going to lead us into the grace side of your grit and grace equation, right? So what was the, what was the price for you or what were the many prices and what were some of those defining moments where you went, oh my God, yeah, I'm paying the price in a big way. What did that look like for you? Because so many of us can relate. Yes. Paying the price. Sometimes, most times, I think. You pay, you're paying the price, you're writing the check, and you don't even know it. Ooh. That's the thing. Oh, my God. Can we just pause on that truth for a minute? It, that is, yeah, everyone, you guys, this is the question I love. And Cheryl, you know this. I love to ask people, what are you pretending not to know? Ooh. Because a lot of times we actually do know it and we stuff it down, right? And we stuff it down. We stuff it down. But you're, you're paying that price, you're writing that check, and you don't even know it. You're doing it unwittingly. You're making decisions out of default. And so by default, rather. So for me, I was on this you know, path of I'll show you. Yeah. you know, oh, you won't let me? 
Oh, I can't. I mean, I'm what you consider a double outsider. I'm a woman and I'm African-American. So to achieve, I've had to fight my way through fight windmill my way through, you know, and yeah. you're a child, you're fighting, you're like windmilling. <laughs> I had to windmill my way through. And I so there's a price and it catches up with you. And it usually it's health relationships. I think that when you're on that path of fighting, 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 and pushing down and ignoring everything else, you drift further and further away from your soul, what your soul needs. And so it's so, and you talk about this in your book, Soulbatical, which I love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in order to be on this path, in some ways, it requires being untethered to your soul because the moment you start listening and you're in tune to what your soul needs, you, you're going you're gonna to attack and take a different path. So yeah, so I, the wake up call for me, I had many wake up, I'm stubborn. I mean, I'm, that's the, <laughs> that is the, the other side of resilience is yes. stubbornness. Okay. So I was so good at my resilience. I, it took cancer and divorce, not in a linear path, get one, then the other at the same time to knock my ass down and sit me down. But there were so many, and as I look back, I'm like, was I crazy? Just so many um, health crises, minor health crises that, you know, sent me to the emergency rooms, emergency surgeries. And I'm still on my way to uh, being rolled into the operating room. Wait, wait, I've got to send one more text. I need to talk to this reporter. Just crazy. Mm. I so relate to that. This is our warrior, right? We get into our warrior and we were like, it will not knock me down. I will, right? It's not just rising again, but it's it's actually ignoring everything we're experiencing and just pushing, pushing, pushing past it. So let's talk about that moment. I have heard you tell this story both on the TEDx stage and we'll put the link to your TEDx talk, by the way, in the show notes because it's so incredible. I want my audience to hear you talk about the this like the real pivotal moment for you, cancer and divorce at the same time. I mean, come on, any one of those two things at one time is enough to knock someone down for good. Yes, it, it was. It was a moment, you know. When when I think back about my run for U.S. Senate and not winning the primary, uh, it really was a blessing that I didn't win because. If I had done that, it would have been more pushing down, pushing down and ignoring things that in my life were a problem that were not working. They were completely dysfunctional. So that was 2010. 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Really like, you know, set me back on my heels a bit. But then I go, I, I, I immediately rolled into beast mode, uh, warrior mode, and, you know, became CEO of my care team. And I was into problem solving. Let me just problem solve this cancer diagnosis. And here's what I, I'll show you cancer. Uh, I'll show you cancer that I'm undefeated. You're not going to defeat me. Let me launch a business. Yes, I have a job, but let me launch a business. I want to feel alive. So in the midst of the diagnosis. I launched a business and I'm working on my full-time job. And so so the the stubbornness, the resilience. So the very thing that's your strength 
is also your Achilles heel. So, so this, true. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my strength. And I had two surgeries. One was a mastectomy to remove the breast and the cancer. And then the second was the reconstructive surgery. And the reconstructive surgery comes three to four months after the initial surgery. And it's much more, it's a much bigger surgery. It's very painful surgery. So after that surgery is when like a the day of the evening I get home from the hospital, the day after my marriage just imploded. It was like Maury Povich. Life. material. Right? Yes. That's exactly the first time you told me that I was like, oh shit, that is daytime talk show. That is daytime talk show. Like, wait, is that real? That's like Hollywood script. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? My sister and she was, she was the Solange, my Beyonce, you know, that moment where they're on the elevator and Solange is going off on Jay-Z and well, it was a really, I can laugh about it now, but they, then I couldn't. Oh, hell no. The only way I could communicate was through tears, silent tears. And so there was my marriage imploding right before my eyes. It was kindling all along and just was not focused on it, but it imploded. I was in a lot of pain from the surgery and I ended up having to leave the home that day and I checked into a hotel and I recuperated that week. I spent a week there just, you know, talk about dark night of the soul. It finally, the combination of the two not only knocked the wind out of me, it, 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 it dropped me to my knees and there was lying in bed awake but not just in so much pain, just numb. On every level, I imagine, right? It's emotional, spiritual, physical, whew. At every level. It was then in that moment, I was just broken. I was was completely broken. And I didn't even know how to put one foot in front of the other. And so that was my moment. And that moment of darkness, lasted for two and a half, three years. It just, I just went further and further and further down the the rabbit hole. And I went, I definitely was in therapy. It was a lot to manage alone. I was still working. I was traveling actually to Africa a lot, a lot of international travels, traveling to South Africa once a month. And so I was in this faraway land didn't know anyone, a foreign land, foreign language. I couldn't even turn on the TV for distraction because I don't speak or understand Zulu. I was opposite time zones, like 12 hour opposite. So it's not like I could call home during the day because home was asleep. And so I was fully alone. And it is in those repetitive trips that year and a half of being sitting in my pain and just sitting in my mess that my soul had a chance to talk to me and I had a chance to, to, to connect with it and talk to God. And it is during that moment that I had the epiphany that this is that moment. I couldn't use that moment to say, I'll show you, let me go and do double down. Let me do X, Y, Z. I couldn't fight my way out of that moment, out of that darkness. The epiphany was I had to love myself out of that darkness. And I just, it was a little foreign to me. What, What is that? 
So here's the thing, Shelly, which is why I love you and we connected and I was so fascinated by your work. When I was diagnosed, heard the words, it's cancer, you know, you immediately have an outer body experience. You're like floating outside of yourself, like what the hell? And I'm floating outside of myself. My first thought was how sad this was that I wouldn't, I'm, I haven't yet reached my full potential and and maybe I won't make this. I won't make it. I won't live. And, and that was so incredibly sad to me. Now that I look back on that moment, really what I was saying is how sad that to live, have lived my life not fully connected to my soul. And not fully realizing my purpose. And not fully realizing my purpose and therefore my potential. And so I think loving yourself, that radical self-care is making yourself enough of a priority where you hit pause and you go deep within and, and give yourself space to hear from and connect with your soul so that it, it's okay. It's not even okay. It's necessary to answer to and attend to your soul's desire because that's where your purpose is. And yeah. so in that moment, I had that epiphany of you know, I lived my life with grit, but I needed grace now, grace for myself to really step fully into myself. And so that I, it just popped in my head, grit and grace. One won't let, uh, let you give up, but the other makes it okay to let go. And the truth is we need both in life. And that, that concept just dropped in my head and I wrote it down on a plane. I was living on a plane. Clothes lived at home. I lived in C2A. So I wrote it down. It's like your your cocktail napkin purpose. We all, we all have a version of that. I love it. Underneath my glass of red wine was actually my calling. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though, because you were slowing down and slowing. you were listening for the first time ever. And this was the gift it was a gift. Our pain always comes to teach us something, right? It's a gift. And I read, after the fact, a book called Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. Ooh. You might know that book. Oh, yes. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Yes. Please do, because yes. she talks about how, why tragedy and, 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 and loss and really bad things come into our lives. They're really strange angels. They've come to break us open, break us open to connecting to our soul. And it's just, and it's strange, that's the gift, okay? Being broken open. But it's strange because it comes wrapped in so much pain. So my goal now is let me stay in tuned with my soul. So I, it won't take another tragic circumstance to, to get my attention. That's my prayer now. God, please let me hear from you when I'm out here just, you know, lounging on this patio because <laughs> I do not want to be back down in that rabbit hole of trying to like, wait, what, what? Is someone trying to talk to me? So that's, that's the goal. That was the, 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 the come on broken open moment. It actually was in South Africa when this happened, uh, this kind of awakening, I, I had, I was up, I was a raging insomniac. So I, in South Africa, plus I was opposite time zone. So during their night, I was up. I was going to be up anyway, even if I was U.S. time. <laughs> but I was up and I was just crying. I was just 
I was just, it was awful. And I couldn't wait until the daybreak. And I said, as soon as daybreak, I'm getting out of this hotel room. I'm going to the lobby. I'll have breakfast. I was thinking all the things. And so it, when day broke, I went down and I went 6 a.m. into the restaurant for breakfast. And there was a jewelry store in the lobby. You know, it was set up for travelers. And so they had there. it was connected to a hotel, a mall, very famous jewelry store. So after I ate, I went into the jewelry store. And I just started buying stuff. Okay, retail therapy, okay? <laughs> it's real, kids. It's, it's real. <laughs> real. It's real. And so I, you know, I was buying earrings and I bought a ring and a cup, two rings and some earrings. And they, they were looking at me so strangely. And I was like, well, I guess maybe they're looking at me because I'm, Af- you know, from the U.S., I'm African-American, I have an accent. And I'm, I just chalked it up to that. Three, two hours later, I get back up to my room and I caught a reflection of myself in the mirror. Tear, mascara, tear-stained cheek. Oh. Okay, that's how much distress I was in and didn't even know it. So that was my moment uh, when I had the aha moment about, you know, grit and grace. That was your breaking open and the birth of grit and grace, the movement. And I just want to repeat that line because you have said this so many times and every time you say it, it just gives me goosebumps from head to toe. Grit and grace, one won't let you give up and the other makes it okay to let go. And honestly, if people don't take anything else away from this conversation, boom, right? We have to sit in it as painful as it is. And yes, our grit serves us, but there's a point at which it doesn't. And this is when grace comes to the forefront. Exactly. Right? You know, I think about Angela Duckworth's book. Mm, Love it. Love it. She's right. Grit, which is resilience. You cannot have success without it. You cannot be successful. It's, It's a key determiner of success. But here's the thing. Grit alone ensures that you survive. But... We're here to do more than just survive. We want to thrive. So I was yes. surviving on my grit, okay? Yeah. But grace helps us to thrive. So beautiful. That is such a powerful distinction. Yeah. Grace helps us to thrive. And that's why you need both. You need survive, but go beyond survival into thriving. I was surviving and it was miserable, but I was surviving. I was doing it. I was, it was my biggest promotion, my making the most money. I was all the things on the outside, but I was just, just struggling. I was on the struggle bus. Yeah. Well, and you know, I talk about being successful versus success empty. This is another way of saying it because successful is about success with the fulfillment, with the health and the thriving and the joy. Joy. All of it with the flow, right? All of those pieces. And we can't have that if we are just muscling our way through life. It's really beautiful. When I was really in the dark, darkness of it all, I could only uh, pray one four letter word prayer. That was help. Actually, it was two word prayer. Help me. That was it. That's all I could muster to pray. When I, as I, you know, advanced and then I, my prayer got a little bit more sophisticated. God, I want to, I want joy in my life. Those are, 
at my very basic, two things I wanted, help me and I want joy. All the other stuff fell by the wayside. It was help and joy. And so, you know, grace helps with those two things. Yeah, it does. And and we're is sitting here in a moment right now where we've got, you know, we're sort of kind of coming out of the pandemic. I think a lot of people are realizing what matters most. And you've been leading the way to help us say, hey, this is time to pivot. Connect with, connect with your soul and ask yourself these questions. What brings you joy? What do you really want in life? What does it look like for you to practice both grit and grace? So I, so you just, get, I mean, yet another amazing CJ production, if I could call it that. You put on the most incredible events. I was, I was honored to be on the main stage last year at your live Grit and Grace first inaugural event. And then you were planning something similar and in an even larger scale this year. And then this thing named called COVID sort of came into our lives, upended it. And you had a moment in the midst of all of it where you went, you know what? I'm just, I'm pivoting once again, and I'm going to do this whole thing online and I'm going to teach other women to practice grit and grace and pivot in their own lives. Yes, exactly. And it was incredible. And so I just want to tell everybody, so this is when Cheryl speaks, people listen. And I'm sure you're all doing the same, like hanging on every word. And when Cheryl throws a party, we all show up. You better come, girl. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, I'm always there. You know, I am showing up with bells on. And you had 2,000 or more? I had 2,800 women who stayed the entire day online, seven hours. It was amazing. But you know, the, the Pivot Conference, we kicked it off. It was so important for me to begin every conversation, whether it's a coaching conversation or it's a conference it has to begin with a soul conversation. Mm. And so, Shelly, you know, you were such a big part of kicking off Pivot with the conversation, helping people to, to understand what it means to connect with your soul. So thank you for that. It was tremendous. And that first session that you were on just really set the tone. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it's my favorite thing. When you came up with this title, Decoding the Signature of Your Soul, I was like, hell yes. I want to talk about that for four hours, not just one hour for four hours. And yeah, so thank you for letting me set that tone and just, you know, jam with you on the thing that I love to jam on the most. So I'm curious before, because I want to talk about one, how do you practice? disgrace. Because you you said something so important earlier, like now you want to stay connected. Part of your prayer is let me stay connected to my soul and practice grace for myself so I don't find myself in that rabbit hole again, you know, or on the bathroom floor, you know, praying. And so what does that look like for you in daily life? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I am in the process of, and I'll always be in the process of developing a grace practice. And a grace practice is, you know, you you know all the things, some of the things you're very familiar with. It's, It's meditation, it's prayer. I think prayer is powerful, putting words. And prayer is not about attaching to a religion. Prayer existed before religion. It's speaking words into the atmosphere, into your environment, uh, calling on a higher power. It's, it's so important. The three things that three creators, um, the three kind of actions that create our lives, our thoughts, words, and our actions. And 
words are powerful. So prayer, meditation, thought, prayer. And I'm not a big journaler, but I do like to put at the end of a day, gratitude, you know, mm, writing yes. that, being grateful. We all know that this is true. These are the things that being grateful actually is a powerful tool because it helps you to shift your perspective. And so practicing grace is all about shifting your perspective, shifting your energy so that you come, you may have the same problem. The problem hasn't changed, but you have changed. Your, the way that you see and perceive and, 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 and look at problems, that changes. And so when that changes, then your behavior and action changes, and then you create a new reality for yourself. So practicing grace is so important. For me, my grace practice includes meditation, it includes prayer, it includes a gratitude practice. It includes, you know, connecting and t- talking to people in my life that feed into me. Big part of my grace practice is finding information, whether it's books or videos or conferences that feed my my soul, that pour, that help me to stretch, stretch inside, enlarge my my capacity for empathy, first starting with myself, to have empathy for myself as well as to others. So I have this kind of whole, and I'm writing that actually, because people want to know, how do you practice grace? Yeah. I'm writing a book on grace and what it means to practice grace. But here's the thing is, sometimes life gets busy and we kind of like float away. I think the big part in practicing grace is to identify your triggers. So if you're, you know, not sleeping well, not insomniac, and this is more than just one or two nights of poor sleep, but you know, you just got a, a consistent pattern of just you know, going to bed super late, you know, getting four hours, five hours. That's, for me, that's a sign that I need to check in. So oh, I'm learning my triggers. Like I what love the- that. These are the warning signs. Yes, for everyone. Get really familiar. Cheryl, this is so, I'm glad you brought it up because it's so important. It's like, get familiar with your warning signs. What are those red flags? Like when I know that I'm going for the bottle of wine every night or when I'm carbo loading, warning, warning, like a neon light, right? Carbo, yes. For me, carb loading. When I am just craving sugar and, 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 and carbs and all of that, you know, consistently, you know, this is like, you know, over a period of maybe two weeks or, you know, when it's a thing, that's usually a sign to check in. What, what is, what is my soul need? I'm not, I'm ignoring it. And so I'm learning my, the warning signs, the trigger so that I don't get to the big thing because it escalates. And in the book, Broken Open, it talks about that, that your soul starts tapping you on your shoulder, whispering to you very, you know, in very small ways. And then it escalates when you don't listen and aren't t- tuned in. Things like stubbing your toe, hitting your arm, you're, you're constantly leaving something, losing your keys. When you're constantly misplacing things and losing things, that's another sign that it's time to check in. You're moving too fast. It's time to check in. Something is out of alignment. I think that's where we we always want to pivot into alignment. How can I align? Be in alignment with my with my soul. We talked a lot about that in uh, in the pivot 
conference. Yeah. How can I be in alignment with my soul's truth and desires and values and commitments? I mean, that's the home of it. That's the source of it. So you're absolutely right. And by the way, when you, I love when you say check in and for everybody listening, I think we all know this, but it's worth just kind of double clicking on it by saying, when we say check in, this is like, sit still, slow down, get quiet, reconnect with your soul signal. What's it telling you? Listen deeply. That's the kind of stuff that Cheryl and I are talking about. It's really like, that's when you're going to know. That's when you're going to know. And you talk about soul signal. I think that's great. What are the signals that your soul is emitting, sending out? They're called emotions, okay? So you have to pay attention to what you're feeling because that's the way your soul speaks to you. And when you're pushing it down, you're grabbing for, you know, a glass of wine, carbs or sweets or whatever it is, um, whatever distraction of your choice is, right? you know, it, it, it prevents you from being tuned in to the sig- signals that your soul is sending you. So that's a very, very big, big part of it is being so self-aware and listening to your soul. The other thing that I do in, in a grace practice is a life audit. Take auditing your relationships. You know, we talked about this in a session after yours that you did on decoding the signature of the soul, but there are people in your life are either giving you life or they're taking it from you. They're draining you. And we all know the drama queens. That's easy to identify. So put them to the side because you know drama. Put it to the side. What, What drains your battery are those relationships. They're not high drama. They're close friends. They're family, people you love that are close to you. But they are like apps, having apps open on your phone. They're in the background. You close it out, but they're still running in the background low, and they're slowly draining your battery. People Having people like that, relationships in your life, they're not high drama. They're, you love them. They're close to you, your friends. You're getting something from them, your friends, your family. But they're draining energy from you. You know, they're draining energy from you and you know who they are. They're the people who are always needy or they are the folks who are, their their MO is to be complainers. But what they call it is, I keep it real. No, you keep, I keep it 100. You keep it 100 complaining and negative 100% of the time. That's the 100 you do. But they, it shows up in different ways. You know, uh, people who are, are negative, they're, they're petty, but, you know, they're funny. So you kind of like, oh, well, they're funny. They're bringing me some good tea. But, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But these are the people that are draining from you. So life audits, auditing your relationships, auditing your time, looking at your calendar, and that's a big thief is these little things that eat up our time. That's a big thief. So auditing Uh your time and your calendar and auditing your surroundings, those are very important in your wholeness. I think that's beautiful. And and it sounds like that's, well, 
you have said a phrase to me recently, and I feel like it's a summary of everything you just said. You've been talking about the DNA of brilliance. And I feel like so much of what we just talked about is wrapped up in that. I mean, I got goosebumps when you first said that to me. I'm like, tell me more. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because it feels like a nice bridge from where we just were. Absolutely. DNA of brilliance. So we all are brilliant. It's not something that we have to acquire. We come into the world already brilliant. So I just want everyone to understand that you are already brilliant. Not only understand it, own it. Own it. Own it, you guys. We're badasses and we're brilliant. Your soul came in this world already knowing itself and its potential and already its potential already exists. So you're already brilliant. The question is, will you own it? Will you walk in your brilliance? Mm. And so understanding the DNA of brilliance, like how do you own that? How, what does that look like? It requires soul work because it's the full understanding and embracing of your purpose and passion and then aligning that with your natural talents and gifts and skills that you've acquired and in being in an environment that nurtures, that honors the essence of who you are and nurtures your, your growth and hopefully it nurtures that growth you know, for explosive growth. So when there's a full alignment, we talk about that alignment, between your passion, your purpose, your talents and gifts and skills and your environment and where you can show up as who you really are and grow, your brilliance shines. And that's all that we really want. That's what our soul wants. It wants to shine. It wants to show itself. That's, that's, did the DNA of brilliance really sits in that space? It's so powerful. And I keep the, the imagery that I had as you were saying that was like a lighthouse because we are truly in our radiance. We are vibrating at the highest energetic level and we are shining so brightly. I mean, this is what you do, right? You are shining so brightly and leading the way for so many other women saying, you don't have to get to that place where cancer and divorce knock you down and you're crying alone in a hotel room in South Africa. You don't have to get there. I want to show you the way. I want to illuminate that trail. And then you can figure out what it looks like for you. And those pieces, oh, that's like that's like the, the equation, the DNA of brilliance. It also feels like the DNA of thriving. Right. And so that's, for me, what practicing radical self-care is it's a grace practice. It's when you are so in touch with your soul and your soul's desire, you're so self-aware. And, 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 and to be that kind of self-aware, you have to really love yourself. You have to really, really appreciate your value and your, and your importance and place yourself a, uh, as, as, uh, as a priority in order to get there, to really get that kind of in tune with your soul. Because there are going to be a lot of distractions, lots of reasons for you not to, uh, it, takes, it takes work, it takes time more than anything, but it, it, it does take that. So, you know, practicing grace, 
practicing an expression of radical self-care leads you to this, your brilliance and shining and walking more fully in my brilliance. So what I'm doing now is a step toward my walking more fully. My, you know, I was, people would say, whenever I would talk about kind of my work with women and, you know, that's always been my default is to go default into coaching mode or to helping mode, particularly around women. And I would always light up, you know, with that work. I think that, Shelley, so much of our purpose can be found. The answers to our purpose certainly has to be someplace in the problems that we're trying to solve for other people, because there are problems. The things that we want to solve for ourselves in our life, that those are the problems that we are most excited about solving for other people. Oh, yeah. This the brilliant phrase, our pain is our purpose. And your story completely resonates with that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm grateful for my, for my journey. I'm grateful for my journey and, okay, not a but. Good catch. I love that. And, yes. And, you know, I'm going to keep pivoting. You know, life is a series of pivots. Uh, so I'm going to keep pivoting so that I'm walking every day more fully in my brilliance. I would have, I can't, can't, you know, I think that we're, each of us in our life experiences, we're part of the, the evolution process of life itself, you know, and what Shelly, you and I experience and we gain from the experience, we help evolve humanity for it. And, you know, for, for, for infinitum to come. And so I can't regret not being more in tune with myself. I can't regret, you know, the, the harsh experiences that I had as a black woman because it fueled me, fueled my grit. It fueled my ambition. I can't regret that. I, because it, 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 it contributed to my enlightenment and if my enlightenment helps some other woman, young woman coming up, or any woman, the young woman who doesn't have to repeat the trauma and drama of that I went through, that I experienced, it's just about if that's we're running, we're running, we are running our leg of this race in life, and this is my leg to run. So I, I don't regret it. Oh my God, I'm doing a chair dance, girl. That is so beautifully said, so beautifully said. And I have so much admiration for you. I mean, I just, I love being in your presence. I love our conversations. And I, I love mostly how you show up in profound service every day. And you show up in your authenticity, which with such courage and purpose, and you're showing people the way forward. I love what you said. So they don't have to experience all the trauma and drama that you did. And what a beautiful mission and purpose in life. And you, you also said something that I don't want to slip by because it's part, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about. You said, I will continue to keep pivoting to show up more fully you know, as myself and in my purpose. And you have coined, you've been talking about that in a very specific way. You've been saying, I've been a free agent my entire life. I, you, you are a catalog of firsts. 
you are, you know, you're and and yeah, and and a force to be reckoned with, right? And you're continuing to blaze the trail of first and teach other women how to be, as you call it, a free agent. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Because when you put that spin on it, I went, oh my God, that's brilliant. That's putting people in choice. In choice. Putting people in choice. So, so I talked about the DNA of brilliance. What first is passion, aligning your passion with your talents and gifts, but it's being in an environment that supports that, supports who you are and supports, you know, your, your, your brilliance, your growth. So you can show up brilliantly. Being a free agent is so pivotal the word pivot again, pivotal to choosing your environment, to being in an environment that supports your growth. So, you know, I liken free agency unto choosing and not waiting to be chosen. Oh, I love that. Yes. I, I, I was forced to do this. And, you know, I keep coming back to being a woman and being African-American. It's tough. And so I rarely was going to be picked to be on the team to play in the big leagues. So if I waited, and as women, you know, I just happen to have a double thing against me, but I think this is the experience of most women. If you wait to be chosen, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. You and I wouldn't be having this conversation. You would not be in this. I know you fought hard. Your, Your career has been amazing. You've worked for all of the blue chip companies in, you know, senior and C-suite level positions in in marketing, but you had to go and fight for those things. So learning how to choose and not wait to be chosen is so important. Walking your brilliance is, yes, you know, your passion, you, you, you nailed your talents and gifts and skills, but you have to choose environments place yourself in so that you can show up and shine and grow. And so free agency, I didn't really understand that about my career until a good friend of mine pointed that out. He, you know, actually a little bit famous. uh, So I won't say his name, but he looked at my career and he was like, Cheryl, I don't understand your career. He said, it looks like the damn Peace Corps. It's all over the place. Okay. (laughs) He's like, I I just don't. And so, and I chuckled and I laughed and it didn't bother me. And I was like, I think my career is really unique. You know, who goes from art and design to corporate communications, to government affairs, to government, politics, running for office, civil rights, aviation, and now entrepreneurship. That's really very disparate, all of my experiences. But I, and they didn't come looking for me. So here's the other thing about why you have to see yourself as a free agent, particularly if you're a woman, and especially if you're determined to walk in your brilliance. You're not going to particularly fit in a recruiter box. You know, they're incentivized to Amen. They are incentivized to recruit a certain way. So they're looking for the shortest line between A and B. If they're hired to go find X, Y, Z, they want a person that has a linear experience, runs deep either from a skill set or from a sector and industry sector set. I have never been recruited by a recruiting firm. Never, ever. And I never will. Me either. Yes. Totally share that. I didn't know that. Yes, exactly. Because they don't see. They don't see it. They don't see it. And so um, so they don't see it because they're not incentivized 
in that way. And then being a, a woman, it's, it's harder because they're incentivized to find candidates that the hiring managers are looking for. So that's another challenge, why you have to take control of your, of your career and be a free agent and be industry agnostic. So you know, who says you have to spend 10 years in product goods or manufacturing or in aviation? I went into aviation from civil rights. So really understanding, but if you understand your assets, um, and your passion, and you understand your skill sets and your talents, and how to value that, how to put a valuation around that, and how that translates to solving problems, no matter the industry or sector. You can really drive your career in a way that is un- uh, unique and unpredictable, but you get to choose environments instead of waiting to be chosen or just reacting to what's presented to you. You get to choose your environments and that's, that's empowering and very freeing. It's incredible. And it, it just strikes me as you've been talking about this, that actually the first choice you're making is to choose yourself. Yes. Right. Right. We're choosing ourselves And we're believing in ourselves and we're believing in those inherent strengths and gifts and talents. And you're right. Those transcend any and every industry we could ever operate in. Right. They really do. And we have to believe that first to set ourselves up to then choose what space do I want to play in? Where do I want to go? Bless the world with gifts, right? Because that's exactly what you've done. I mean, the fact that you have blessed so many, this is why you have the following you have. And I mean, people are like, oh my God, I've watched her come and disrupt and share her brilliance in so many areas and just so authentically and so successfully. You chose yourself. Chose myself. I chose myself. And I was courageous enough to show up as myself. Yeah. And, And when you show up, as yourself, and it's hard to do when you're in environments that your very presence repels them. So it's like a, an organ, you know, a person getting an organ to their body, you know, acquiring a new organ and the body rejects it. Right. So it's like these cultures can reject who you are, what your essence is, who your essence is, and what it's about. But the more you're able to be authentic in those kinds of environments, sometimes if it's the right environment and now what's going on, it's going to be more right than not. Sometimes you, you can cause that, that culture and that environment to shift yes. and to make room for who you are and your essence and who you are, your, your authenticity. But it takes so much courage it is scary to do, but you can change. You can make a change. You, I, I've done it. I've seen it. And I've been, all of my career, I've been the only uh, one of few women or the only woman and the only person of color, a double. And if I show up as myself, strongly show up in my, as myself, I have made room for who I am. So there's a shift going on in our world. Uh, and the shift is it's ready to make room yes. for what's different than what has come before. And so now is the time to walk in your brilliance, be a free agent, 
and take charge, choose and don't wait to be chosen. And I think the key to being a free agent outside of choosing yourself is there's a, there's a very specific, you know, sort of skill set. Uh, to being a free agent and around kind of how you network. It's Mm. about service, service service-driven, that value. Of course, we've heard a lot about value-driven networking, service-driven networking, and really understanding that your life is your brand. So that's going to help people choose you or help you find those opportunities that are right for you. So, um, and then this notion of uh, grow then go. When I look back on my career and I sort of reverse engineered, like how I got to all these different experiences, I had an uncanny sort of innate understanding that, okay, let let me acquire new skills or new experiences while I'm here in this job, either within the company or because I have a particular platform, I can take that outside the company and into the community and gain a different experience or different skill set. And so that whole notion of grow, then go, but then going and not waiting too long. I think women and people of color, we stay in jobs too long. We're waiting for to tie the bow around it, to be for it to be done, done, and then done. And then for someone to tell us, okay, this work is done now. That's just not necessary. I think you make your impact, you make your changes, you provide value, and it's okay for it not to be done before you go. When I look back on some of my experiences, I was heartbroken, like, oh gosh, I wasn't, I wanted to do more at this company. I, I just was getting started before another opportunity or a forced pivot came into my life. And then I think back on it, I was like, no, I had gotten all the juice out of that, that, that berry. There, you know, it, it looked premature, but it really wasn't when I really think about it. So that's something that women and people of color really struggle with, wanting to stay to the very, very end. Uh, don't grow, then go, but go. I love that advice. And I think often what keeps us there is fear, right? It's scary. It's like, well, this is what I know. This is comfortable. We sort of cling to those things like, you know, Linus and his security blanket in the Charlie Brown comics, right? And then what's underneath that, the fear factor, is not feeling like it's not enough. You're not enough. So maybe I'm not enough to go and do this other thing. So, you know, I'm, I was reading a book, I don't know which book it was, but it says all of life comes down to either fear or love. You're operating either out of fear or out of love. And I'm like, okay, everything? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> what about, I mean, how does that work with that bag of Cheetos that I inhaled? Okay. Was that fear or was that love? I love Cheetos. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> But it was, it's fear-based. So you have to really look at that. I'm fearful. Like what's really driving that? It is fear, but it's also, which is fear, not being enough. Yeah. Which goes back to the believe in yourself first. Yeah. Love, self-love, which has been the thread or the through line for through this entire conversation. So, you know, I didn't ask you this at the beginning and I'm going to ask you this now. What are you rebelling for? I'm rebelling for change. I'm rebelling for the promise of what can be in the world and in particular right now uh, with our country and what it means, what, what social justice means, what 
civil rights means? What does it mean when everyone can participate equally? So I'm rebelling for that. I It's such a trigger. This, these times are such a trigger for so many, so many Black people, including me. And I was on the phone with my 22-year-old niece the other night about 10 o'clock, and, and I just, poof, you know, something happened on, on the news or story or one of the many crazy stories you hear out there. And I just started talking. I, I unloaded. And at the end, she was my 22-year-old niece. Aunt Cheryl, uh, it's okay. You can't to not always be in fight mode. It's okay for you to turn off the TV and take care of yourself. And that, when she said that, it kind of snapped me like, wow, I, it was a trigger, this story that she shared with me and all of my experiences. It opened up so many old wounds. So I'm rebelling for change. I'm rebelling for the promise that has always been American. So that's what I'm rebelling for. And I'm rebelling for women because I think women are such the key to ushering in this change. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. I I had wanted to dig into this topic a little bit more, and I know we're we're probably around an hour, but I really don't feel comfortable leaving this conversation without getting, without allowing you to give me and other white listeners of this podcast a little bit of guidance. Like, in your opinion, how can we be a part of the change? Because I'm signed up to be an ally, a co-conspirator, all of this. I, I mean, I have like the chills from head to toe even saying this. And I sometimes I'm like, am I doing enough? I'm reading all the things. I'm, I'm trying to take the right actions. And yet I wanted to hear from you personally and just give you an opportunity to say, what can we do to be standing aside and locking aside you and locking arms and creating this change? I thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, I thank you for extending to me grace with that. So that's yeah. healing for me to hear you say that. Sharing your platform like this is uh, one way. Sharing your platform for me to say exactly what's on my heart, to not have to put on a mask or to make it okay and palatable for you to hear my pain. That's very powerful. So thank you for that. I think that, you know, you're reading the materials, you've read books, or maybe you're reading through White Fragility as, as a powerful book. But, you know, what I hear a lot is, well, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, the America's first sin of slavery. That was years and years and hundreds of years ago. I didn't do that. And that's true. But there is a, a system. That's what we've been talking about. All this movement is about the systematic institutional racism that has to be dismantled. And having white people understand and accept their role in fixing it is going to be powerful. In order to do that, I think you have to understand how you have the, how you benefit from this system yeah. that's set up against black people and brown people. So one understanding how I benefit from this system is powerful. Yesterday, I think what triggered me actually, a really good friend of mine's called and she's running, she's a white girlfriend of mine, she's running for office. And she, you know, she was saying in these majority black districts, we have to get more 
more African-Americans leading and running. Now she goes, I was looking at that. I was talking to another political ally of hers. Like, why is that? You know, we had to go in and, you know, help train them so they have the skills. And I just stopped her right there. I was like, that's not it. It takes money to run and win an office. And the money, the majority of the money is in outside of our community. It's not in the Black community. So if you want to see a Black person elected office, you have to not only vote, but help support financially fund Black candidates. And so it's not in skills. It, it took, I guess it, 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 it hit home because I ran for office. Yeah. And I, it, it was a seat that was very winnable, but I did not have the money. And so she could say this and she's running for office and the, the DCCC or they're calling her and they're funding her. And I know that they would never do that for me. And so it was a trigger. That was the trigger, actually. It was a trigger. And I was like, it's not that. It's you, you have to, whether it's the, the Democratic Congressional, the DNC, it's not the D, yeah, the DNC, the Democrat National Committee and their congressional office, they fund campaigns. You have to fund black candidates. And that's a kind of systemic institutional racism that we're talking about. So for her to understand, she got very quiet. And, and I contributed to her. I, I've always contributed to her campaign, but she got really quiet in that moment. And she was, I think, uncomfortable with understanding that she benefits from a system that's set up for me not to be equally, you know, benefit from. And that's what we're asking is one, you have to, so to, to help fix it, you have to understand the disparity and the, the lack of justice in these systems and how it benefits you over me as a Black person. And then commit to trying to fix it. And then in just in your own circle, Shelly, when you hear something, say something. When you hear yeah. someone say something foul and wrong and discriminatory, say something. Call it out. Call it out. Yeah. One of the lines that I heard recently that I think gets at the heart of some of what you're talking about is use your green for black. So our dollars matter, guys. Our dollars. So exactly as you're saying, whether it's to get someone in office and run those campaigns, whether it's to have the black, you know, black entrepreneurs, black businesses thrive and be a more equal part of our culture. All of those things matter. It matters. So that's one, I just wanted to say that because that's something I've been thinking a lot about is like, where is my green going? Yes. Am I really being smart? You, you can, a lot of people think about it on the level of sustainability. Do I believe in the, you know, how, how the products I'm buying are being sourced, but there's other layers to this. Do I even know like who's behind this? Do I know their beliefs, you know? And so that's something I've been thinking a lot more about and, and getting really conscious of my actions and where my votes and my dollars are going. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah you're on the right path. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that with us, Cheryl. And I, I, I would, maybe there is an opportunity, we'll create an opportunity to dig into that even deeper. I'd love to have a whole conversation around that. And I'm really glad that we started to, that we got it into this. And thank you for rebelling for that change. I am standing alongside you, sister, rebelling for that same change. I love you so much. You are 
such an inspiration and such a beacon in this world for women in particular, but it is not limited to women and the work that you're doing with grit and grace. I mean, we need a whole lot of grit and grace to change this world. Thank you. Thank you, my soul. Yeah. I love you to the moon and back. So thank you. Ditto. Thank you for showing up today, for being here, for sharing all of your brilliance, for walking in your brilliance for this audience and showing up in your glam. By the way, for anybody who's watching this, like Cheryl is always the most glam person. I have literally stood next to you on stage and I'm like, I just didn't even want to try to compete. Like there's just, there's just, I'm having none of it. I'll do me and you do you girl. And this is, and this is where, and you know what? And it works out so beautifully every time. Thank you for being such an inspiration for showing up today. This is going to be an amazing episode to share with the world. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rebel Souls, for tuning in. There were so many nuggets of wisdom in this conversation. We will put a lot of like so many of the resources that we referenced in the show notes as well. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?